Sometimes the way forward is found by glancing backwards. And sometimes the way forward is by glancing backwards. Now let me explain what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that we stare into our past, we live in our past, we dwell in our past, but there are ways in which by glancing backwards, it helps us today and into the future. So, so for instance, uh, when I was wrestling in eighth grade, um, I got to a point in my career where I was just getting tired and burnt out of wrestling. I just was not loving it anymore, wasn't passionate about it anymore, to the degree where there were guys that I had beaten who, uh, and beaten really well in the past years who started beating me. It wasn't because they had gotten that much better. It was just I just didn't seem to care. And I remember my dad pulling me aside one day and he says, says, look, if you're tired of wrestling, if you don't love it anymore, just quit. It's okay. You can step away from me. You can quit. Um, But if you're going to keep going, then you need to wrestle for this person. And he took a picture that he had had in his pocket out. And it was a picture of me when I was in either first or second grade, and it was my first year of wrestling, and I had gotten my first singlet. Now, some of you are like, what is a singlet? A singlet is, is the uniform that wrestlers wear. So, so and, and I remember I had gotten that singlet. It was the Naperville Patriots, and it had the word Patriots down the side with a little Patriot figure, and it was red with the white stripe and, and blue letters, and, 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 and I had put that thing on, and I hadn't wrestled a single match yet, but there I was in that picture, just beaming ear to ear, all excited kind of standing all proud you know first second grade chest puffed out right like you know and just just loving it and he goes if you're gonna wrestle then you need to wrestle for that boy you need to wrestle with that joy and that passion and that excitement and I took a couple weeks off and I came back and the whole rest of my year changed because I needed to glance backwards to move forward And when we talk about how God is leading grace forward, there's a way in which we need to glance backwards. And the first way we're going to do that is is by looking at Acts 2, 42 to 47. In fact, this will be our reading for every week for the next three weeks. And then we're going to use a passage that's going to build off that or or explain a portion of this. But this one we're going to read every time that we are together. And uh, what I would love for you to do is over these next three weeks... Just pull this passage of scripture out because this is what the church has always been called to be. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I want to encourage you, read it every day, read it every couple of days, but keep reading this passage over the next three weeks as it reminds us who God's called us to be. And I'd love for us to read this together. Please read this with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And we're going to take a look at this and a portion of this in in, in light of Luke 15 today. And we're going to talk about the first of three commitments that we see in this text. The first of three commitments that we need to be committed to as we look at how grace continues to move forward by God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. 
Thanks for gathering us here this morning. And Lord, as we understand and know that it is only your grace and the power of that grace that sends us the Holy Spirit to work in us, that we are able to move forward, we pray that you would grow in us, inspire us, shape us, form us, make us to be the disciples and missionaries you have called us to be. Remind us this morning of what it means to celebrate and to celebrate correctly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to start off with two questions, and I'm going to need your help. I know that it's church, so we don't get used to talking in church, but you're going to have to to respond at this time to these two questions. Uh, My first question is this, and you can just shout this out, um, and and hopefully I'll hear you as best as I can. Uh, The first question is this, is, is not in the church, but just in life in general, what are some things that you celebrate? What do you celebrate in your life? Birthdays, Christmas, anniversaries. There was no joy in Honduras that day. So, no joy in Honduras, especially not when I found out at the beginning of the second half that he was back. So, I'm not saying who he is. Anyways, um, what else do you... You celebrated Rogers coming back, I'm sure. So, so what else do we celebrate? What? Job promotions. Baptisms. Graduations. What was that? Easter. Now, there's a lot of things we celebrate, right? How about in the church? What are some things that in the church, just as a family in the church, we celebrate? What are, what are some of those things? Easter, to see your pastor. All sorts of church workers who are in our midst. Confirmation. Weddings. Baptisms. Communion. Reformation. We celebrate funerals because it's a celebrate of life and life eternal, right? There are a lot of things that we celebrate in the church. My question this morning for us is this, is what is the most important thing that we are called to celebrate? Like, like above everything, what is the calling and what is the greatest celebration that we can have as the body of Christ in the church? Now, so some of you are going and you're looking up at the screen thinking that you can cheat and say, well, it's celebrating our calling, so that obviously must be the most important thing. Okay, but my question would then be, what is our calling? What is our calling to celebrate? We're going to look at that this morning. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, please. Luke chapter 15, and you can find that in your Bibles on page 874, page 874. If you brought your Bible from home, awesome. We love it when you bring your Bible from home because then you can write in it, underline it, highlight it if you would like to. Uh, If you have a smart device, uh, an Apple uh, phone, an Android, whatever, you can look it up there. But Luke chapter 15. As you're looking that up, Luke chapter 15 has three significant parables that Jesus teaches all on the same theme, the idea of lost and found. So we're going to see and look at the sheep, but there's also the one of the coin and the prodigal son. All of them have the same pattern, we'll see in a second. But as we read Luke 15, just the first parable, 1 through 10 this morning, um, or 1 through 7 this morning, what we also, what a lot of theologians say is that Luke 15 is the gospel within the gospel. Meaning, if you want one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in the book of Luke, you read Luke chapter 15, because this is a beautiful, perfect picture of the gospel in the gospel. Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, to understand the rest of the parable, you're going to need to understand What does it mean that there were tax collectors and sinners around Jesus? Like, who were these people? 
So who tax collectors were, were tax collectors were those who were commissioned by Rome to collect the taxes from the people. Now, now you're going, well, duh, they're a tax collector, yeah. But the way they did it was the significant part. They were commissioned to collect tax. So, so they might come to somebody and say, okay, your tax is $1,000 this year, and they would give them $1,000, and Rome would say, well, your commission off the taxes that you get is 10%. So, so if you collect $1,000 from a person, you get to keep $100 of that. That is your commission. So what the tax collectors began to do is they realized that if they charged more tax than they were supposed to, and the people probably wouldn't have been able to figure this out, they could actually keep more money for themselves. So they might say to somebody, oh, your, your tax is 1000 and then they would tell them, well, your tax is $1,200, and they would keep a whole lot more money for themselves. They were extorting and cheating people, and Jesus is eating with them. And then he's eating with sinners, and you're going, well, yeah, but we're all sinners. But what they're talking about when they use this language, when the Pharisees use this language, is those who are outside of the Jewish faith and practice, those who are, who are kind of on the outside of that faith and practice of the, Jew, the Jewish religion. And they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, how in the world can you eat with them? Well, the reason that that was such a a huge problem is that when you would eat with somebody, especially in that culture, what you were saying is, is I'm accepting you. I condone who you are. I love the person. I condone your actions. I condone how you conduct business. Like we're one together because we have fellowship around the table. And so for the Pharisees, they're like, like how in the world can Jesus condone these tax collectors and sinners? He should not be eating with them. And so Jesus, knowing their hearts and knowing where they were at, he tells this parable and says this. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who have no need of repentance. So notice how this, this starts. It starts with a shepherd who has 100 sheep out in the field and, and he's probably going along and he's counting them and he's, he's counting them and then double counting them and triple counting them. He goes, he goes I, I keep coming up with 99. There, there's one sheep that's gone. There's a sheep that's wandered away. And we don't know why it's wandered away, but, but we could kind of surmise that, that as a sheep, maybe it was just being a sheep and it just was just going its own way, doing its own thing, running after its own desires. Or, or maybe it found a patch of green grass here and then, then it found another better patch of green grass and then another patch and then another patch and another patch and it just wandered away. Not so much different than you and me. Because that's often how we wander away, isn't it? We're like children who go into to our, their toy room and they, they see one toy and they take it out and they start playing with it. But then they see another one and then they go over and then they play with it. And then they see the one their sister has and then they go over and they take it away from their sister and start playing with that. Until the toy room is just littered with toys, none of them picked up because they've gone from toy to toy to toy to toy to toy, never satisfied with the one they have. And we all have toys that we run after. Toys that we seek after in our life. And we go from one to another to another to another and our desires and our passions and, our, uh, and the things that we want, they keep leading us astray until we are oftentimes a reflection of that one sheep that's gone astray. And so this sheep goes astray. And the shepherd seeing it goes astray, goes, I need to go and save that one sheep. Now sometimes when we read this, we're like, yeah, but what about the other 99? Isn't the shepherd neglecting the 99 for the one? No. 
Because at that time in that culture, the way that a shepherd would have shepherded his flock is that there would have been one shepherd for every 30 to 40 sheep. And then for every 30 to 40 more, they would have had a helper who would have helped them watch over the flock. So the shepherd would have left the rest of the flock with probably the other two helpers, the under shepherds, who were there as the main shepherd went out to seek. So, so he wasn't neglecting the rest of the flock. He was just going out at great cost to himself to seek that one because of his amazing love for that one. In fact, that's what we just sang about, isn't it? When we sang about the reckless love of God. I know some of you are like, like, well, is God's love really reckless? Well, yes and no. I mean, it's reckless when it's reckless from our perspective, right? Like, he is willing to give up everything, to step down from the throne of heaven, to, to give up the, the perfection of heaven, to come into our suffering, to come into our pain, to come into our brokenness, to take on himself rejection and denial, betrayal and crucifixion, suffering on to death for a people who will constantly rebel and reject and wander away. And we, from our perspective, would say, that is a reckless love. Why in the world would you keep running after that part, those people? And yet, from God's perspective, that is a perfect love. And that's the love that this shepherd, who is Christ, has for his sheep. And he runs after the sheep at great cost to the shepherd. Because the shepherd would have had to give his energy and effort to track this sheep down. And then finding this sheep, it says he would have put him on his shoulders. And he would have, at great effort and strength to himself, with no effort to the sheep, carried the sheep back exposing the shepherd to all sorts of danger because if there would have been a predator that would have jumped on the shepherd, he is in no position with the sheep on his shoulders to protect himself. He exposes himself to danger. And then when he gets home, at great cost, he celebrates the sheep that was lost and is found. And I wonder if if it might even be that that cost of that celebration was greater than the cost of the sheep. And it's not because the one is more valuable than the 99. That is not the point. In fact, all of them are significant. He celebrates when all of them are together. It's not about 99 or one. It's about the fact that it is the one's eternal destiny that hangs in the balance, not the other 99. The other 99 are safe, they're secured, they're cared for, they're fed, they're blessed, but it is the one hits that sheep's eternal destiny that hangs in the balance. And that's why the shepherd runs after that. And that's why that shepherd, our good shepherd, reminds us why we exist. We, we don't exist as a church for our own comfort. Well, we don't exist so that we can just focus internally on our own preferences over the sake of the people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we don't exist to focus internally on, on our own desires and our own needs. God takes care of those. God brings us together and causes us as a church to exist, not for internal things, but external things, to reach the lost. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we most concerned with? What do we focus most on? What do we invest most on? What do we grumble most about? What do we complain most about? Is it our preferences or it is for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God and reaching people for their salvation? Is it about what Jesus came to do, which is to seek and save the lost or to care for and nurture ourselves? Because God called us to seek and save the lost. Because when the shepherd celebrates, is it when, when only the one returns, but when the one returns and the hundred are back 
together. They celebrate together. Do you see that there, there is not just one set of people at the feast, but two? He invites the lost to the feast and those who are found. He invites them all. He invites all people to the feast. The Pharisees, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those who are far from God, he invites them all to the table and intentionally invites them together. But all too often, we naturally just turn in on ourselves. We want the service times we want and the service styles we want and the service songs that we want and we want certain ministries the way to be run the way we want them to be and we want decisions made in the church the way we want them to be. And what we do is we start focusing internally on our own preferences instead of looking outward for what God has called us to do for the sake of the kingdom of God. When you read Scripture, you cannot help but notice that God created the church for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost. This was Acts 2, 42 to 47, what we read at the very beginning, right? At the very end, the purpose of all of that activity, when you read that this week, and I want to still encourage you, read Acts 2, 42, 47 throughout this week. When you read it throughout this week, all of that activity that was done culminates in verse 47. The purpose of all of that was to be reaching out so that day by day, the Lord added to their number to seek and to save the lost. In fact, do you notice that in this text? I mean, in fact, it, it tells you in this text what we should celebrate most, right? I mean, look at verse 7. It says it right there. In fact, I'm going to uh, read this from the uh, uh, new Pastor Howard version, and it says this. So, just so I tell you that there will be more partying in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. Do you see it? Do you see what God says? There's a pattern in this. It says that there is a losing, a seeking, a finding, but then there is a rejoicing. There is a parting. There is a celebration. He says, and if you want to party with heaven, if you want to party with the angels, if you want to celebrate with the heavenly hosts of those who will come before us and those who will come after us, if you want to party with them, then reach out and intentionally invite others who are lost to be a part of what God is doing in his family. It's a little bit like this, and this is the picture that now comes to my mind when I think about this. You're going to have to deal with a Chicago Cubs story. I think you can handle it. So a couple months ago, the Chicago Cubs were playing the Washington Nationals. And uh, they were playing the Washington Nationals, and it was the bottom of the ninth inning, and the Cubs were down by three runs. And uh, one of their guys got walked, two of their guys got hit by the pitcher. They get the bases loaded, and they have two outs, though. Bases loaded, two outs, down by three runs, bottom of the ninth inning, two outs, and up steps to the plate our rookie, who has been up and down and up and down from the minors all year long, David Bodie. And like this was every kid's dream in the backyard, right? Like if you were in the backyard throwing the ball, now normally it's game seven of the World Series, but still, right? So, so you're, you're, this is the picture that's happening. Bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, one ball, two strike count, down by three. The guy throws a low fastball and David Bodie hits it out of the park. A walk-off grand slam. You can cheer for that. That's awesome. So, so and, and, or at least I cheered for it. And yes, he's running around the bases. He puts his arms out like an airplane. I'm like, you are running for that first grader who put that uniform on for the first time, right? And was beaming from ear to ear. That's not my favorite picture. My favorite picture of that is this. I love this. This is him coming around third base, arms still out like he was flying. And, and you see the host in the background 
waiting for him as he's rounding third base? Do you see the joy, the celebration, the excitement? I mean, if, if you want to feel better, just pretend it's brewers, right? Okay, but, but right? Like, do you see that? Can I tell you? I think that's what a funeral's like. They have rounded third base, and here they are. They're on their way home, and the heavenly host is rejoicing as they're coming into heaven. But we don't have to wait to heaven to experience that because there is more partying over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons and no need of repentance. We can be that host that gets to party with the angels as we welcome in through baptism, through reaching out to our neighbors, our coworkers, those who are far from Christ, rounding third base and heading home to be a part of what God is doing in his midst as we celebrate lives that are being changed here for eternity. We get to be a part of that. And how are we a part of that? It's by our first commitment, one that we see throughout scripture, when we intentionally invite others to be a part of it. Like, that's our calling, is we intentionally invite. And we do this in in, in so many other areas of our life, don't we? Like, we invite, well, it's homecoming season, so some invite and ask others to homecoming. Uh, Birthdays, you send out invitations, anniversaries, great anniversaries where you have a celebration. You send out invitations, weddings, you send out invitations, right? And what's the worst thing that they can do when you send out an invitation? They say no. Does that hurt you or them most? them. In fact, when you intentionally invite and you keep going back and you keep building a relationship, you keep building in them and intentionally inviting them as a missionary for Jesus Christ, they are not rejecting you when they say no. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. And it's not your job to get them to say yes because you don't have that power. It is only the power of the Holy Spirit. Our calling, our commitment is just to intentionally invite and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Do you know there was a study that was done on, on, on different denominations and how good different denominations are at inviting others. Do you know where Lutherans landed on the list of denominations and how good they are at inviting others to come to worship and to church and Bible study? Second to last. They said 41% of all Lutherans have never invited a single person to church or to worship or Bible study or small group or anything. Never even told them about Jesus. They gave two reasons for this. The the number two reason was they said, I don't know any. To which I would say either you, you haven't opened your eyes or you need to start eating with tax collectors and sinners just like Jesus did. The number one reason that they gave was they said, well, it just never came to mind. I just never thought about it. To which I would say then you need to be like the shepherd who opens his eyes and starts seeing those who are walking away and wandering away and have gone away from the faith. Because we want to celebrate with the angels. And we have a lot of things to celebrate here at Grace. We really do. Our school was accredited this past year, and the ministry of our school is continuing to be amazingly strong as it has been for many years. We added a new principal and a new director of student ministries and new teachers, and we have amazing teachers. Our ministries are kicking off this year in Jam and Thrive and Ignite. We're adding Club 35 to our third through fifth graders. And, and, and there are so many exciting things going on. We sold the land as we've been hoping to do for a while. I mean, there are so many things that we can celebrate here at Grace. But if you want to celebrate with heaven, then let's start changing lives. Then let's start reaching out and let's start intentionally inviting others into what God is doing for the sake of not filling pews, but filling heaven for the building of the kingdom of God. 
Uh, I don't know how many of you noticed this. Did any of you notice the new window clings on the way in this morning? Did you notice those? How many of you did? You're, it's okay. You can raise your hand in church. So, so yeah, a few of you did. Does anybody know where those come from? See the resemblance? It came from where we came from. It came from glancing back. It came from that church that on June 13th, 1933, in downtown Menominee Falls, by the grace of God, through a couple couples and a few handful of people, began worshiping. Enough probably to fill just a couple of pews right up here in the front. That was it. In 1933, and through different pastors and different church workers, through different buildings, through, different, through, the, through the development of a school and many different ministries, we now have two beautiful campuses. We have 800 plus who worship in our doors. And we have seen how God has grown the kingdom of God because of the focus of those who are in this Mission Outpost Church. A Mission Outpost Church in downtown Menominee Falls. That's us. This was grace. You can see this at the end of our history wall. This is who we are. We are a mission outpost for the sake of reaching out in love for the building of the kingdom of God. And the reason that we exist as that mission outpost, the reason that we exist, the reason we have worship at the home base, the reason that we have Bible studies, the reason we have prayer, the reason we have Ignite and Jam and Thrive and a day school, the reason we have that is not just so that we could just sit there and be happy, but so that we can build and support the ministries that reach out for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God. Our generosity is for the sake of not just internal ministries, but for the sake of reaching out to that one lost sheep for the building of the kingdom of God. This past week in Honduras, uh, 10 of us, every morning when we got to, uh, to, to the, the, the one uh, village that we were staying in, the village of Hope, the, the place where uh, some of the boys and girls were at, that orphanage, we would gather together in their little kitchen with a couple of picnic tables. And then we would sit there and we would eat breakfast and we'd wake up and we'd have our coffee and we'd tell stories and we'd do devotions and we would have prayer and then we would talk about what we're going to do that day. And then you know what we did? We left the kitchen. Because if we had not left the kitchen, that would not have been a worthwhile mission trip, right? And you're like, well, duh, of course you're going to leave the kitchen. There's painting to do and tiling that had to get done and electric that had to be run and, 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 and there were a couple feeding stations that needed to be visited. Well, of course you left. But we need to leave just as the, the, our church and go out and reach others just as much as we need to leave that kitchen. That God gathers us here at home base so that we can be equipped to intentionally invite others and reach out with the message of Jesus Christ crucified so lives can be changed here and for eternity. And I'm going to tell you, I need to tell you that that is happening. It's happened in the past. It's happening today. It's a story of a young man in our Christian day school who, in coming into grace, wasn't sure about his, his Jesus, didn't really care about Jesus, just was coming to it be, to the school because, because he had heard about the school and, and his parents enrolled him at the school. And when he graduated a year ago, I said, I still don't know if I believe about this Jesus, but I'm actually willing to listen and, and I want to know more about him. That's mission. It's a mission trip, or the, it's our youth retreat that we took. We, we had two individuals who, those two individuals uh, had no real church background. They really didn't go anywhere, haven't gone to church for years and years and years. They came because a couple of their friends were going. 
And they showed up for that trip. And at the end of it, when they were filling out the forms about what God was doing in their life, they said, said I know God's doing something and I want to know more. And they've come back a couple times to a couple of our uh, Sunday night youth campfires. Their lives have been changed. It's about a Celebrate Recovery ministry that is helping people with hurts, hangups, and habits that they're struggling with in their life. And those, those that have come, some of them are now being connected to the worship life of grace and hearing more and more about the grace that is available to them in Jesus Christ. That is changing lives. That's what we are in the business of. Our way forward is remembering where we came from as a mission outpost to grow the kingdom of God. A community of disciples rooted in Jesus Christ so that we can reach out in love for the sake of the building of God's kingdom. And what this means is, is for all areas of our ministries, that they're all areas that we serve in, whether it's the school ministry or the student ministry or care ministry or worship ministry or whatever that ministry is, all of our ministries are for equipping disciples to be missionaries in this world to reach out to the lost sheep for the building of the kingdom of God. And what this means for us it means that what we celebrate changes, what we value changes, how we invest in ministries and use our energy changes, what we focus on changes, how we view our calendars changes. When we understand that we're not here for ourselves, but for the sake of courageously, boldly, faithfully reaching out for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God. And this year, that's what we want to party over. In fact, to remind you of this, on your way out this morning, there is a table that is filled with these. We're not asking you to wear these. I mean, if you want to, you can. But, but there's a table in the narthex that's filled with these. And we want you to pick one of these up on your way out this morning. Just take it with you. And put it somewhere that you will see it every day. Uh, put it on your dresser. Put it in your car. Uh, put it on your refrigerator. Put it next to your TV. Wherever you look every single day, put it there. And, and, and even as a reminder, maybe even write the name of the person that you are intentionally inviting. Because this year, one of our commitments is we want to intentionally invite others to be a part of what God is doing here at Grace. So that this year, I don't know about you, but I want to party with heaven. You want to party with heaven? couple of you said it. Do you want to party with heaven? Yes. I don't know about you, but I want to party with heaven. So let's intentionally invite others to be a part of what God is doing in this place for the sake of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.